and welcome to Colored Red, a podcast all about Colorado true crime. I have a short historical case for you guys that made forensics history by being the first time that a case ever used fingerprints to identify a suspect. Today's sources are Colorado Public Radio, the research by Matt Masich, uh, the Hutchinson News, and the White River Valley Historical Quarterly, in a story compiled by Kathleen Van Buskirk. This is a tale of a legendary gang based out of Kansas who were eventually caught because of a crime they committed in Colorado. Stay tuned until the end for a song from 1930 by Bud Billings written about this gang and the crime that eventually did them in. The Flegel story begins in the 1880s with Jake Flegel Sr., who and his wife Annie Flegel, who moved with their family from Iowa to a farm in Finney County, Kansas. They had many children, but among those children were four boys, Ralph, Jake Jr., Walter, and Fred. In 1920, Ralph and Jake left home to head to California and start life on their own, and they ran a pool hall for a bit, but times got tough and money got tight, and in this panic, Ralph suggested that they rob a bank in California, and they did, and the job was so easy for them that they eventually got really brave with it and raided gambling halls and banks and businesses all over the Sacramento Valley, returning to a home base in Garden City, Kansas fairly regularly. By the end of the 1920s, their jobs were almost exclusively in banks, and they would hire new goons for each job to help them. They deposited money into local banks back home in large sums, and their mother, either covering for them because she actually knew the issue, or genuinely believing the lie that they told her, told inquiring bankers that her sons owned a cattle ranch and worked in large sums. The family back in Kansas flourished. They got new house additions, new equipment. The neighbors noticed that life, their life of mediocre income appeared to be over, despite the fact that the farm didn't really appear to be doing any better than normal. The brothers ended up stealing over a million dollars from banks over those years, and they managed to do so well without killing anyone, and they thought that they were invincible until 1928. In 1928, the brothers began planning a new heist from their horseless horse ranch in Wichita County. They brought in two new goons named George Abshear and Howard Royston to help with this, and on May 23rd, they headed for Lamar, Colorado. Inside the bank was owner Amos Parrish and his son, John Parrish. Amos was leaning against a protective gate, talking to his son when the gang entered and ordered them on the ground. Amos slipped into his office and came back out with his single action Colt 45 and shot it straight into the jaw of Howard Royston, who fired back, hitting Amos in the head and killing him. The spooked gang then continued to shoot, killing John Amos as well. They took $200,000 worth of bonds and cash, and they took two hostages from the employees, Eskel Lundgren and Everett Kessinger. Someone nearby had called the sheriff, and a chase ensued with guns blazing. The gang pulled over and left Lundgren a few miles out of town, and this slowed them down enough that the sheriff got up close and they used their other hostage as a shield during the rest of their high-speed shootout. The gang ended up outgunning the sheriff and his deputy, who eventually had to stop due to two bullets destroying the spark plugs on their car. 
the basically posses from the town ended up fanning out all over the state in search of the gang, but none of them found them or the hostage. And the gang drove back to their ranch near Garden City, Kansas. Back at the ranch, the goon with his jaw nearly blasted off, uh, and he needed medical attention. And later that evening, a local doctor named W.W. Weininger got a knock on his back door. A man told him that a farmhand of his had been injured, and the doctor went with him back to the Flegel Ranch, never to be seen alive again. What ended up happening was the doctor noticed that the man had been shot, and the gang realized that he would eventually make the connection with the Lamar murders, which would eventually be all over the papers from California to the East Coast. So the brothers killed the two men who could identify them. They took the doctor in his own car out to a canyon and blindfolded him, telling him that he could remove the blindfold when he heard that they were gone. But instead, they ended up shooting him in the back of the head. They then pushed the car with Dr. Weininger in it off of the nearest cliff. And in the process, Jake Flegel left a bloody fingerprint on one of the car windows. The hostage was also shot at this site and left there. Meanwhile, the Colorado Bankers Association and a local law enforcement in Lamar, Colorado, recruited the help of a few postal inspectors and the chief of police in Colorado Springs to hunt down the killers, and they got creative with it. They enlisted the help of a few small planes, and sheriffs combed the areas around Lamar all the way to Kansas, and it was by this amazing stroke of luck and some great eyesight that he actually spotted the car that had gone over the cliff. And nearby was the body of their missing bank hostage, linking the car to the bank robbery and leading to the obvious conclusion that whoever robbed the bank and killed the parishes had killed the missing doctor and their hostage. A fingerprint expert from Garden City, Kansas, found the one bloody fingerprint that was on the window, despite the fact that the car had been wiped clean inside by the gang, because by this time, fingerprint Fingerprints being used in trials was fairly common. Copies of the fingerprints were sent to the FBI, as well as major cities around a few states. And a year later, on June 22, 1929, a man calling himself William Harrison Holden held up a train on the Southern Pacific Railroad in California and took $17,000 from the mail that was on board. His prints were lifted and sent to the FBI, who verified that he was actually Jake Flegel. And they did this in a rather extraordinary way. The FBI expert had committed the prints of Jake Flegel to memory. And he recalled that the print had been associated with a different crime, but didn't know what. And back then, there was no computer that brought up matches to other crimes. And every fingerprint wasn't just automatically matched with every print on file. Usually the fingerprint experts just had to remember the prints and associate them or find a different way to connect two different crimes to see if fingerprints matched. So this rather astute FBI agent searched the records and found the print that he remembered, that of Jake Flegel. And it was then that they organized a multi-department search for the killers of the four men in southeastern Colorado and western Kansas. And... Um, that had been perpetrated, they now realized, by the Flegel gang. And until this point, fingerprints had been used in court to verify a person they suspected committed a crime, but they had never been used to identify who the suspect actually was when they had no other leads. 
So they went to the family home of the Flegels and found large sums of cash in the possession of their mother and other siblings who said that they had been given the money because they thought Ralph had earned the money in the stock market. From the family, they got information about the post office box belonging to Ralph Flegel in Garden City, and they monitored the box closely until a letter arrived with a return address that led them to Ralph. He was arrested, and he agreed to give up his companions if he wouldn't get the death penalty, and the prosecutor agreed to not pursue the death penalty himself. Howard was arrested in San Andreas, California. George was arrested in Grand Junction, Colorado. And two years later, they went to the gallows at Canyon City Pen in Colorado on the same night. Ralph Flegel's prosecutor kept his word. He didn't pursue the death penalty himself, but the jury gave it to Ralph Flegel anyway, and he was hung in July of 1930. Jake Flegel, meanwhile, was still at large and during this time had been hiding out in Ridgedale, Missouri with the name Walter Cook. There, Jake Flegel, posing as Cook, actually ran a well-established chicken farm and seemed to take a keen interest in it. Locals considered him and his farmhand, another goo named Lee Cook, to be rough-looking but respectable egg farmers. Many knew that Walter Cook had guns, including a machine gun, which he said he got in the war. Visitors also noted that they saw Walter Cook really enjoy detective stories and magazines, and he had collected this mass of magazines with stories that were specific to the Lamar Bank murders and the murder of Dr. Weininger and the hostage. And in the home were magazines with the picture of Jake Flegel in full view, but curiously, the images had been scratched over with a knife, preventing anyone from really noticing um, the strange resemblance between him and Walter Cook. By now, detectives were getting really creative around the area. Handwriting experts had examined several pieces of writing known to have been written by Jake Flegel, including a letter sent to Colorado Governor Adams pleading for clemency for Ralph Flegel. Jake's handwriting featured this really dramatic and distinctive letter D, and circulars with images of Jake's handwriting were sent to postmasters all over the U.S. And believe it or not, a postal inspector recognized Jake's signature letter D on a letter on a postal train. They couldn't open the letter legally, but they followed it to the person that it was going to, a friend of Jake's, and had him open it in front of them, and he agreed to help them. The letter asked the friend to place an ad in the Wichita, Kansas Eagle that Jake would then respond to, and so he did. And the response to the ad told the friend to meet him on a train bound for Yellville, Arkansas, October 14th, 1930. So the police organized a sting. In the meantime, other investigators were busy still searching the post um, all along the area that they believed Jake Flegel to be in. And they even wound up in Ridgedale, Missouri itself in a store where they showed a woman a picture of Jake Flegel. And the woman said that it looked a lot like one of the Cook brothers. The shopkeeper, um, the woman shopkeeper kept that a secret until many years later when the truth about the Cook brothers became something the town could actually talk about because they felt like they were safe to talk about it. But on October 13th, 1930, At least 25 lawmen, postal inspectors, detectives, and railroad agents from Arkansas, Kansas, Colorado, and Los Angeles 
descended upon the rail line between Aurora, Missouri and Cotter, Arkansas. Not entirely sure where and when Jake Flegel would board. They stalked the train and camped out in Branson, Arkansas, quietly searching hotels and cars. Jake Flegel and Lee Cook, probably not his real name, drove to Branson around 11 a.m. Jake bought a ticket back home on the train and boarded the train. And they noted that he was clean shaven, but wore an old felt hat, blue overalls and a blue coat. And he had heavy dark rim glasses and police knew his face. They had studied this picture for so long and they watched him slyly from the windows of the coach car of the train. And no sooner had he boarded than 10 officers told him to put his hands up and he reached for his gun. And so they shot him in the stomach. And he was then shackled and, while still conscious, admitted that he was, in fact, Jake Flegel. He was eventually taken to the hospital and operated on, but the bullet had caused a lot of blood loss and he died. They went to the chicken farm and the man Lee Cook was nowhere to be found. Inside, they found expensive suits, detective magazines about Jake Flegel, pole climbers and wire cutters used to stop train cars and hold them up. And here's an interesting part. The walls in the home were actually false. The walls were basically just plastered with thin paper. And when they could rip away the paper, they found that the walls were full of various types of guns, explosives, and ammunition. And this was all over the house. The house was located near a popular road, but well out of sight, making it the perfect spot that he continued his gang activity the entire time that he was sort of half posing and sort of half actually being a chicken farmer. Jake's body was claimed by his mother, and it was buried next to Ralph on a family plot. Months later, a detective returned to the store where the woman had identified Jake as a cook brother to tell her that Lee Cook had been found, but they didn't identify him further or give any further details. Until that point, the woman had told no one that she identified Walter Cook as Jake Flegel. Due to the various um, actions of the Flegel gang, several bankers in Nebraska declared that every bank robber who was found would have a $3,000 to $5,000 bounty. But this was quickly found out to not be that great of a solution when two men were lured into committing a bank robbery by four men who then turned in the two men to collect the bounty. I mean, if scammers are going to make money, they're going to find a way. But every town the Flegel gang terrorized over the years or that the Cook brothers made face in was left with stories and memories that slipped into legend. Some legends even say that the Flegel brothers buried some of their spoils in various areas and treasure hunters still go out around Lamar and the path um, between basically Lamar and Garden City trying to find lost, buried treasure. Um, the car with the fingerprint was put into a museum, and the Flegel Gang was immortalized by a song by Bud Billings. And I'll play that, so until next time, everyone. my friends and I'll tell you a story of bandits so bold 
Way out in Lamar, Colorado Where they robbed the town bank of its gold Two innocent bankers were murdered And another was carried from town In a cabin way up in the mountains The poor fella's body was found Then one of the bandits was wounded And begged for relief from his pain They went for the doctor to help him And later the doctor was slain At last in an Illinois city One of the bandits was found Ralph Legal then made his confession For the law had at last run him down Body will soon lie in slumber Out there near the clear western sky For robbery and cold-blooded murder Ralph Legal now goes forth to die He walks without fear to the scaffold The black cap is placed on his head The sheriff then steps on the trigger Ralph Legal, the bandit, is dead But Ralph's brother Jake was not captured For two years he wandered at will And then down in Branson, Missouri He come to the end of his trail It was there on the old station platform Where Jake Legal made his last stand But one fatal shot from the sheriff And once more the law got their man Oh, why are these young men so foolish To think they can murder at will When there is that mighty commandment That teaches us thou shalt not kill Now listen young man let me tell ya Take warning before it's too late You'll find on that great judgment morning You can't stack your cards against me